Okay, back to uh, Romans 13. What do you say? <laughs> oh, me. I need a little... I need a vacation. You know, guys, um, I thought... I thought after we got through the first seven verses of Romans 13 that the tough stuff was over with. Okay, we're through with that government stuff. Now we can move on to those nice, wonderful insights of the rich uh, mercies of God displayed in the in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We could talk about things, yada, yada, yada. And I thought it was all over. And I come to verse 8 and it says, oh, no one anything. <laughs> now we have to face debt. And talk about debt. Um, you know, so now I, not only have I sought to influence your political leanings and, and, uh, respondings, now we gotta talk about your money. Oh my. Um, two more sensitive subjects there could not be. Now, l- let me read you the verse. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna concentrate only on the, the first four words, and then we'll get the rest of the verse next week. But, uh, verse eight says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. It opens with this statement, fairly categorical, owe no one anything. Let's let's talk about those four words, and and that's what will consume us tonight. Guys, um... You know, I think we all agree that one of the principal issues that we're that we're um, voting about come come the fall. I gosh, I mean, it's, the fall is here. I guess it's three weeks. Three weeks from yesterday, the vote is it three weeks or four weeks? But um, uh, one of the huge issues, of course, is um, is government spending. Uh, but not simply government spending, but government sp- spending um, financed by debt. <laughs> you know. Um, uh, I, I don't know whether y'all know Brian Miller. Brian Miller is the headmaster. I guess that's what they call him at ECS. He's a good brother. He's a good brother and, and a fine man. I, I want to be more like Brian. Um, but I don't know whether you know this, but Brian's background was he was with Bank of America. He was a dude with Bank of America. and for, In fact, I heard <coughs> before he took that ECS job that he was kind of the heir apparent um, for uh, the, the presidency of Bank of America. And I don't know whether that was regionally or nationally or what, but I mean... Um, that he was the, the heir apparent for that big job and, and, and he walked away from that, that career in banking and took over the job at, at ECS. But, um, uh, on one occasion we were having lunch together and he was addressing this issue about, or we were talking about, you know, are, are, are they nuts up there? I mean, they keep spending money. They, you know, we're not, they're just going to print some more. What are they talking about? Yada, 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 yada. And, and, you know, of course I'm, I'm a, I'm a real novice in the whole world of finance. I can assure you. Um, and he was saying this, that uh, there were, in his estimation, there was one of two motives. Either, either the goal was to let inflation take place and we pay off our debt with cheaper dollars, or to use some kind of, um, oh, I don't know, national crisis to nationalize the debt, which means you cancel it. And he went on to say, that would, of course, result in war. Because he was saying that the Chinese that hold most of the debt of this, of this country would, um, would go to war over if the, you know, who, who was it? Um, 
was it um, Brazil? Not what Brazil it was Peru? Didn't they nationalize their debt or somebody? Anyway, that that it, you know that somebody's thinking either we're going to pay it off with um, with inflated dollars, or we're going to uh, we're going to just ignore it, cancel it, nationalize it, and that would lead us to war. You know, guys, I don't know what anybody's thinking um, anymore, uh, much less the, the government of the United States. And, and I can't do much of anything about what the government is doing with spending. I, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't change it. Um, I, I can cast my vote, and which I will, but um, I really can't affect much change when it comes to the national debt. But what I can work on is my own. I can work on. Um, I can't solve many problems of the national financial crisis, um, but I can address the issues of my own finances. And so that's what I'm going to do tonight. Guys, uh, talk about just just some personal stuff, you know? <laughs> and, and very honest, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. First of all, guys, here's a principle. The Bible nowhere forbids... Borrowing. Debt in and of itself is not considered evil. It was the Lord Jesus who said, Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Going into debt is not necessarily, on the, on the, the face of the thing, denounced by the scriptures. What is denounced I think, in verse 8, is that a Christian can borrow money, but he can never borrow and leave that debt unpaid. Um, guys, the problem is, is, is not the issue of debt. The problem is that debt financing has become a way of life. And it's and it's become a way of life fueled, methinks, by two very significant mistakes, both spiritual. They have nothing to do with the government. They have nothing to do with the reason that we've gotten so intoxicated with um, with debt financing, I, I guess you could call it, is number one. We have bought into a false definition of happiness. And number two, we assume that we are in control of the future so that we will have a steady income that we are, we can predict such that we can ultimately pay off those debts. When we have no right to that assumption, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I'm making pretty good money now. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to get a raise, you know, every year. And, and if I get a raise every year, you know, well, then I can afford this. Based on the assumption that I know what my income level is going to be five years from now, seven years from now, eight years from now. Guys, surely you know how awful that is. Um, do you know the story in the, in the book of James? Um, he closes out chapter four. Um, by, by talking about the guy who would, um, uh, foot, 
Uh, yes, it's chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Gang, do you, do you see what that little paragraph is describing? It's describing a mentality that says, I'm in charge of how my economic future is going to unfold. May I be the first to inform you, no, you are not. You're not. Um, there are so many variables in this in this uh, formula, ladies and gentlemen. That it, you know, it, you know, you, surely you know. There's health. There's a, there's something called a recession. Hmm. How about that? But but the point is, because of the two mistakes, our our, our false definition of happiness, and you know what that is: <laughs> white picket fences, flat screen televisions, nice SUVs, and exotic vacations. That will make me happy. How's that working for you? Well, guys, a false view of happiness and the, the notion, the, let me use the James 4, uh, 16 word. The arrogance of saying, I know what my financial future is going to look like and making decisions now based on what I project to be true in the future. That is a fatal Fatal mistake. Hey, guys, can I give you just a little example? Uh, the church that you're attending, uh, known as Gracie Van, we have never made that mistake. We have never bet on the come. Um, like you run your or like you run your homes. Uh, no, no, not all of you. Like some homes may be run. Guys, um, it has always been the the, the the conviction of the session. Let's say if we took up $2 million this past fiscal year, that we would never create a budget that was $2.2 million for next year. No. The only thing that we know that God provided was that $2 million. So therefore, that's as far as we're going. We're not going to presume on him to do that again or to, to, to get more next year. That has always been the philosophy behind the budget. Whatever is given in the previous fiscal year that just ended, the September the 30th, that is the budget for the new year. It, it, it at least avoids the mistake of thinking that I'm in control of my, um, my our financial future. You're not. We're not, guys. And um, you would think that uh, the last two years, since two, uh, 2008, that that message would have been learned loud and clear by all of us. Um, who knew that we would be where we are as a country and fighting the kind of things that we're fighting now? You know, guys, um, back in my day, you know, back when we used to scribble pictures on the side of the walls in the caves, um, the, the, the financial guru was a guy by the name of Ron Blue. Now, he might be dead and gone by now. I don't know where Ron Blue is. I don't know whether he's still alive. But um, he was the big, I mean, he, it's not anymore. Dave Ramsey, you know, the, the crown financial courses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> um, 
but back in the, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s, it was Ron Blue's book. And um, the, the book that came out that, that I read was called Mastering Your Money. And he was the Christian guy trying to tell Christians how to manage their money and yada, 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 yada. But anyway, in, in the book, um, there's two stories I want to tell you out of the book. But in the book, now, now, of course, this is, I guess, 30 years ago now. But in the book, he said, he, 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 he said this, I, I, I can only assume it's true, that banks have a term for those who pay off their credit cards on time. Now, you got a credit card? You got a credit card. I got a credit card. I got, I got a couple of three credit cards. I got lots of credit cards. But unless I've made a mistake, I have never paid a penny's worth of interest on any of those credit cards. Um, someone near and dear to me got themselves in a whole lot of trouble with credit cards only to discover. And I had never heard of this. I had never heard of this, ladies and gentlemen. I knew that credit card interest was high. And, and I still find it hard to believe. But this person near and dear to me said that they were paying 31% interest on their credit cards. Well, um, but anyway, that banks have a term for people who pay their credit cards off on time. You know what the term is? Deadbeats. You know, <laughs> years ago, a deadbeat was someone who failed to pay his bills. Now, deadbeats are people who pay their bills promptly. They don't like you. They don't like you if you pay your bills, and you can you can see why. Guys, you know, I, I hope that I don't insult your intelligence tonight because I am not sophisticated when it comes to these things. But I can only tell you what I know. Okay? And I, and I think much of this you have... Probably most of you have mastered and mastered well, and I hope you have. But if that, if debt is a problem, I, I just want to recommend three or four things, and I want to close by telling you a story, a story I've already told. But it's, it's my experience, and in terms of my lack of sophistication, it's about all I know, okay? Um, if debt is a problem, here's the first step. Don't call it God's problem, call it your problem. God didn't let you down. You let God down. This wasn't because God failed you. It's because you failed. Let's get that straight up front, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, but I thought I was going to have that job for five Well, You didn't have a right to think that. That was a false assumption you should have never made. So, don't make it again. But if debt's a problem, we got to start by saying, I blew it. This is not that God was unfaithful. No, 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 no. I was the unfaithful one, not God. That's the first step. Here's the second step. Discipline. <laughs> Guys, by the way, much of what I'm saying tonight, this is what I do when I'm doing premarital counseling for couples that I marry. That's all you're getting here. And some of you have been married a while and pretty much have learned these lessons. But I bet you've never heard this. You know, I, I was a salesman for Procter & Gamble. And Procter and Gamble sent me off to Cincinnati to, you know, make me a star. And and um, uh, I was up there for a week in this rigorous sales training school and all this business. One of the things they told us that I remember, do you know what the number one enemy of a grocery store chain is? The number one enemy of a grocery store chain. Now, it's I, I'm just going to help you out here a little bit, a little bit. It's not theft. And it's not spoilage. 
the number one enemy of the grocery store chain. Now, this is by Procter & Gamble. They know a little bit about grocery stores. The number one enemy of the grocery store chain is the woman who shops with a shopping list. They don't want you to do that. They want you to walk in there and say, Oh, my husband loves pineapple upside down cake. I'm going to make him one. Look at that picture. Oh, that looks luscious. And so you go oh, get the pineapples and the nuts and the, you know, this and the, that and the other. And, and, um, they want you to, they don't want you to shop on that list. They don't want you to exercise any discipline. By the way, surely you folks know this. I, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed, but maybe there are some youngsters here that don't, um, you do know, don't you, that Macy's understands that. And that the walking paths through the department store are lined with merchandise to appeal to you. Sale merchandise. They got that figured out. So when you're walking in, those first items that you're gonna, you're gonna see, they're there for a reason. It wasn't, well, just put the sweaters over there, Darla, Doris. No. No, they, that, those pads are, those are, that's big stuff. And so they line them with things that trip you up. The thing that is needed is discipline. Guys, credit cards undercut discipline. If you can't manage them, cut them up. And you go all cash. But if you, if you can be disciplined and pay the thing off at the end of the month, you know, Jimmy Pritchard, some of you know Jimmy Pritchard. He was, he was a shrewd bargainer. Um, and I mean that positively, uh, but he used to say, I love credit cards. I can use somebody else's money for 45 days free. I don't know if it's 45 days, but 25 days, you can. You use their money and you pay it up, you know. But discipline. I own my problem and I exercise some discipline. Thirdly, now this is, this is a keen insight. You spend less than you earn, and you do that for a long time. A long time. You refuse, much unlike our government, but you refuse to spend more than you've got coming in. And that's got to take place. And by the way, to help you, sell off some assets and pay down. Use what you get from the assets that you sold off and pay down debt. But that is a cruel taskmaster, ladies and gentlemen, as some of us have found out. Um, and not only that, now you are armed with an admonition on the part of the Apostle Paul who says, Oh, no one anything. Now, you know, all the gurus say that if it's an appreciating asset, you can finance that. You know, you can, you can call them over that. But guys, those are the three principles. There's one more. And very honestly, I say this for last because it's the most important. I do not care where you are financially. You're in the hole and you can't see the top and I got the creditors calling me and I don't, I don't care where you are. I don't care what your financial status is. Really the first thing that you need to do is figure out how you can honor God with your monies. I'm going to tell you a story. I've already told this story. I told it in a sermon. I used to tell it in the new members class. If you've been around here a while, you've probably heard this sermon. But guys, it's the only thing that I have to go on. I don't have, 
you know, I don't have the uh, the Series Seven license, and the you know, I, I got the uh, the P and L stuff. I don't have any of that now. But I do have this much down, guys. Let me tell you this story, and, I'm, and I'll quit. Susie and I became Christians in September of 1970. Both became Christians on the same night. Uh, in a little ministry called the Greenhouse Ministry, where the lady was preaching from Matthew chapter 7, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and there is the road that leads to life, and, and um, a few there be that find this one. And, and, and she said, anybody here on the narrow road? And I said, you know, with every head bowed and eye closed, my little hand was up, because I knew I was on the wrong road, and I knew I was headed to destruction. Became a Christian the next Tuesday night. Um, that was in September. Early, early, early on in our Christmas experience. And I forget when. It might have been October. But, I mean, it was early on. Where we learned this, I'm not really sure. Because we were both just, we were interested in other things in college. But uh, where we both learned this, I mean, we'd been married four months. We started, I hate to use the word tithing because I, I, I think that is a, a term that's so misunderstood. Can I, can I just, you use that word if you want. Can I use these words? We started to honor God with our monies. Um, now, if you want to know what that means, for some of us it might mean 10%. For others it might mean 30 But um, we came to the end of the month, and I, I, I didn't know, um, I mean, it was, I don't know what exactly the day was, that we, but it was towards the end of the month. And um, we were out of money. We had no more money in the in the checking account. I mean, it was it was gone. I mean, we you know we're kids, and you know we didn't have any money. And and um, we went to church. And um, I, I should back up. What we had left was God's. But if we gave it to God, we didn't have any money. We were done. <laughs> we were out. Uh, you know, bone dry. You know, we were done. Didn't have any money. If we gave it to God, but Procter and Gamble gave you these little vouchers that you carried around your wallet. That's what I was looking for. They gave you these vouchers that if you needed expense money, you could go cash one of those things. And I thought, thought well, <clears throat> you know, if, if it really got down to it, I could, you know, cash one of my vouchers and then pay it back. So we gave the money to God, wrote the check, put it in the plate, you know, see you later. And we, you know, we had a little food and the, the only thing, all the bills were paid. The only thing we really didn't have is a food. You know, we didn't have much of that at the house and we had a little apartment and, and, um, but you know, we'd be fine. That night we went back to church. You know, back when people went to church two times a day, that was back in where they were drawing pictures on caves. Um, but <clears throat> we went back to church that night and there was a couple there that was kind of, had kind of taken us under their wing. They were kind of discipling us. The Blands, Jim and Linda Bland, were kind of discipling us. And and um, um, they said, hey, um, why not, after church, we go out and have some pie at Mother Butler's Pie. Our treat. One of the key words were <laughs> our treat. Because I didn't have any money. We couldn't have gone to Mother Butler's Pie. And, you know. We couldn't, but they said our treat. We said, well, sure, we'll be glad to go. We'd love to spend some time with y'all over. I don't know whether y'all remember Mother Butler Pies. Well, that was a little restaurant thing, and it was over on, right off of US 1 in Fort Lauderdale. And, and so, um, uh, after they had invited us to do that, another couple whose name was Balakias, he was a psychiatrist, Dr. Balakias asked the Blands to come over for supper and a swim at their house. 
And the Blands said, oh, well, we can't. We're going out to pie with the Youngs afterwards. And they said, bring the Youngs with you. So off we went. Over, they lived right there on the intercoastal. You know the intercoastal? They, they dock their boats in and they go out to the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, this was high dollar. High dollar. We were over the, you know, uh, over at the, the uh, psychiatrist's house. And I still don't know, Susie, where we got the bathing suits. I, I guess we went home or did they loan us bathing suits? I, I don't know. But we swam. And... um and then they had these terry cloth robes that you're supposed to put on. And Mrs. Balakias was in the kitchen cooking supper. And, you know, and, and then, you know, after we'd swum a little bit, you know, they, they rang this little, they said, ooh, darling. And they said, supper time. So we got out of the pool, put our little things on and went in and had supper. We were eating bean pods from a wok. I never will forget that because I'd never seen a wok and I didn't know what a bean pod was. I knew what spring beans were, but, you know, I was a country boy and, and I was a southern boy and, you know, bean pods, what are the... But it was just elegant. Everything was elegant. The, the meal was elegant. It was fancy, you know. And so we're sitting there, and we're just, you know, carrying on conversation, you know, on a Sunday night. And Mrs. Balakias dismisses herself, goes to the kitchen, and she comes back in, and his name was Chris, Chris Balakias. Chris said to his wife, he said, um, what's the matter, darling? And she said, oh, nothing. The, the freezer just went out. So, no big deal. I keep eating my bean pods and, you know, and, and enjoying the time with all these nice people. And, and, um, and we got up to leave. Never thought a thing. And what Mrs. Balakias had done is she had gone into the kitchen and she had emptied the freezer that had just gone on the Blitz into four grocery bags. Two for the Blands and two for the Youngs. And she gave us these grocery bags full of food. Now, <laughs> I don't remember exactly the size of the check that I wrote that morning. But being the greedy little gut that I am, I went home and poured it all out on the kitchen table. We had, we had a, <laughs> I don't know why I remember this, but we had a London broiled steak. You know, we had never had a London broiled steak. I don't know if that's a good steak or a bad steak, but it was a London broiled steak. There was a steak in there. We also had fr- frozen, deveined shrimp in that bag. And all kinds of other little stuff, you know, and I, and I didn't add it up, and it, I, I don't, that's not part of the story. But I looked at that bag, and I thought, if I'd have kept that money, I couldn't afford that stuff. And ladies and gentlemen, from the earliest days of my Christian experience, I learned that God could be trusted. Have you learned that? Have you learned that God can be trusted with your financial future? Better than in in his hands than in your own. Do you know that? And very honestly, I feel sorry for you. I really do. I'll tell you another little thing. My, my wife might not like me telling you this part. But um, when my our first daughter came home and told us that she was engaged to a man who has lots of money, one of, I don't know whether it was our or hers, I think she started this, but one of her biggest concerns 
was that our daughter was not going to be able to test and see the sweetness of God the way that we had when we were living on the edge. That she was going to miss some of those wonderful occasions where God came through. Ladies and gentlemen, we went to seminary two years later, and my wife worked 55 hours a week and made 70 bucks a week. Is that that the truth? Worked extra to make a little extra money, you know, didn't, you know, 55 hours a week putting on braces. She never went to dental school. She never went to hygiene school, but she, this guy, you know, he was a good guy. Anyway, we honored God all through that seminary experience. All through those seminary years. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we've never missed a beat. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, that's miscommunicated. It, God has never failed to be faithful to us the entire time. So when I look at people and I say, oh, so you've got financial problems, do you? So you've made some foolish mistakes, have you? You got yourself in a little debt, are you? Okay. Here's step number one. Step number one is own the problem that's yours. You did this. God didn't do it to you. You did it. But the second step is forget the discipline. Forget the having the garage sale. Figure out a way. Now. Step one. Or step 1B. How can we honor God with our monies. How can we do this? How can we pull it off? You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to get creative. That'd be a good thing. It'd be a good thing for you to go to God. It'd be a good thing for you to be creative. But go to God. Figure it out. Because ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, if you have not yet learned that God can be trusted over your finances, I'm not sure you're going very far spiritually. I mean, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm simply, in terms of a developing, expanding soul, there's a few lessons we got to learn. And one of the early ones is, God promises to meet all of my needs out of his riches and glory. And I promise you, he's going to. Have you tasted that? I hope you have. I really do hope you have, because it's it's exhilarating. Gang, um, the text is, owe no man anything. In terms of financial management, there are some principles. You don't spend as, I mean, you don't spend more than you make. I guess you could figure that out, couldn't you? But have you figured this other one out? Have you figured out that God really can be trusted? If you haven't, I don't care what kind of financial management course you go through. It ain't going to help you. This is lesson numero uno. Give it some thought. Let's pray. Our Father, I, I, I thank you again for all of the kindnesses that you've shown our family over the years and and it is a it's a great delight to stand and, and and give testimony to your faithfulness, your steadfast love uh, to the congregation, amongst other people who love you, and um, 
perhaps have not uh, had that particular um, milestone in their spiritual walk, I pray that you'd give it to them. I pray that you'd give them a place, where they, a, a, a time where they can watch you do things that um, we never dreamed that you would do. It's, um, it is the key, oh God, to ever having any sense of financial propriety when we first realize that you gave us the ability to make wealth and you expect to be honored with the first fruits of that wealth. Um, would you do that, Father? Would you, would you convince us all of that? Not, not for the financial well-being of this church, but for the spiritual well-being of every individual soul. Do that, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thanks and good night.